Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Mark Santum. Unfortunately, yeah, Pastor Steve, he's not uh, here to join us this morning. He was away with his family all week, and he'll be back uh, next week to start a brand new sermon series. But before we can um, start a new one, we got another one to finish first, right? So uh, I look forward to doing that this morning. Um, a quick review. Uh, we are finishing this morning a four-part sermon series called The Things We Leave Behind, um, based upon a primary text of Scripture from Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, which talks about the race of faith we are in. Let's read that uh, one more time, shall we? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, Fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, Lord, we praise you. We thank you that you are worthy. You are worthy of the stuff that we leave behind. Oh, God, we pray this morning as we finish this series. Uh, that we wouldn't be so concerned about all the stuff that we have to leave behind, because some of us have to leave a whole lot of stuff behind. But Lord, let us, first and foremost, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, and somehow, I believe that we will all be inspired to let go of those things when we get a glimpse of you for who you really are, not what we have made you to be. So would you come uh, and... Fill this place, Lord, with your presence. Holy Spirit, come and enliven your word. Bring it to life to us today that we may go and live obediently to the commands of Scripture and to the call of love and freedom that Jesus offers all of us in this race of faith. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what are the distracting and toxic and sinful things that we talked about? Well, if you have a good memory, you could probably name them. Shame was week number one. Offense was week number two. Unforgiveness was last week. Uh, today, uh, we are going to uh, tackle a topic that, for whatever reason, um, has been affixed or associated with this millennial generation. All right? I could tell you a little more about it, but uh, let me show you an example. You guys want to roll that video? Uh, to be fair, they do, have a, they do have a sequel to this one where there's a millennial guy interviewing a Generation X guy. So you should uh, go and uh, view that one also hysterical. You see, this video portrays a stereotypical caricature of a lot of uh, millennial folks who, um, this girl's full of misinformation, extreme sensitivity, unrealistic assumptions, and yes, the E word, entitlement, right? So, knowing from past weeks, That this is something that, I'll tell you right off the bat, is not something that just the millennial generation carries around. It's something that all of us carry around. And to be fair, um, there's a lot, I know a lot of those from the millennial generation in this church, and they are glorious exceptions to that rule, right? And they are beautiful. So, young adults. I think, like I said, if we take a good, honest look under the hood, I think we'll find out that we all, to some degree, do 
have a tendency to carry around a toxic sense of entitlement. But before we dive in a little further, can I just make sure that, we're, that we get definitions correct? Because there are, I think, two different types of entitlement that we could, uh, I think, agree upon. The first one is a healthy, legitimate sense of entitlement. What I mean is simply a fact that you have the right to something. Right? Here are a few examples. When you pay off your car loan, right, you are entitled. You literally get the title, right? You've earned that title because what? You've paid off your car. Legally, uh, you might be entitled to an inheritance when your Uncle Leo dies, right? Um, you're entitled to receive exactly what you order off of Amazon.com. I don't care if it comes two hours on a drone, right? That better be the thing that you ordered. Um, legally, if, uh, you know, if you ever get put into a cop car, you are told very nicely that you have a legal entitlement to legal representation as they put you into the back seat. And um, generally speaking... Um, we teach our kids, if you work hard and you study well, you are entitled to good grades. Generally speaking, that's true. All right, so life, there's a good sense, a healthy sense of entitlement. I'm not talking about leaving those behind, all right? Those are good things. The toxic entitlement, that is that sense of entitlement, the belief that you are inherently deserving of special treatment and unmerited privilege, all right? That's where the toxicity comes in. This is the kind of entitlement that the millennials often get skewered for. This kind of entitlement, is, many believe, comes at a very early age. You know, whenever your five-year-old son or your six-year-old granddaughter, they get a participation trophy, even though their soccer team went 0-17 during that season, right? They didn't do anything to earn, but they got a trophy anyhow. These are, you know, for whatever, however true that is. This is the ever-present sense that the world or God owes you good stuff. And that just by the mere virtue of you wanting something, that you should have it. Even if it means you don't have to lift a finger to get it or break a sweat to get it. All right, you guys uh, know the difference between the two? All right. Well, there is in third world countries... Uh, they have, you might have uh, heard this before, I've never done this personally, but they have an interesting way of catching monkeys, right? So if you're a monkey hunter, it sounds like it should be a television show, monkey hunter. So, uh, so if, you, if you do uh, want to catch a monkey, right, you, uh, there's one way to it. So they love other, many things. One of this is orange. So you could hollow out a coconut that's chained uh, to a tree, or you, 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 fat, you carve out a little hole in the hillside. And so the monkey comes in and squeezes his little hand through this little hole and grabs on to the fruit, all right? And so as soon as he does that, he is caught. The monkey hunter just comes out, nets him or whatever he does, because there's something innate in a monkey. Whenever he grabs onto this, he cannot let go of it to get out. All he has to do is drop the orange, make his hand small again, get out and scurry up a tree, and he's gone. But there's something about the monkey that will not let go because of his entitlement to this orange. You might catch me. I love all things orange. Orange uh, Alka-Seltzer, orange Tic Tacs, those creamsicles. All right. Anyhow, so this is one way to catch a pastor with an orange. So uh, I used to, you know, you used to be able to catch teenagers, you know, by putting an iTunes gift card in one of those things, right? And you catch them and they wouldn't let go. So you can see this is a metaphor for our sense of entitlement because Sometimes the object of desire that you want is also the object or the catalyst for your downfall. 
So now there's some of you may have a prevailing sense of entitlement yourself, or you may know others that do. Um, even if it rears its head in very small ways. Here's a few small examples. Well, you know what? That person didn't say thank you. I can't believe they didn't say thank you. I feel entitled to one. I feel entitled to have a stress-free morning with the kids before I go to work. All right? That was a good day. Remember when that happened that one time? <laughs> I'm entitled to my daily Starbucks, even though my budget will not allow it. I'm going to get it anyhow. Why do we feel entitled? I, you know, I didn't do a whole lot of research on this, but there are, there are some reasons why. When you look, there are internal reasons, external reasons. You know, we're full of sin. We live in a broken world. Entitlement is going to happen. Of course, there's that old-fashioned pride. If you just happen to be a prideful person, you are more likely to go after entitlements because you claim something, you grab it, you can wear it as a badge, and people are like, ooh, look how great he is or she is. Um, some kids uh, are, are just told that they are. Like, you are so special. Anything you want, you can get, right? Um, some kids grow up, and they, 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 their parents don't know how to say no to them. And so they feel that they are entitled to everything. When they got in the real world, they're in for a really rude awakening because guess what? This world knows how to say no. Um, people that are fearful and insecure often feel entitled. Uh, they don't trust God. They don't trust others. So they're going to claw their own way to get what they want. And so they will often do this through entitlements. And honestly, people that have been mistreated, they often uh, feel the most entitled. If I have something and something is taken away from me, uh, I, an often uh, response to that, I will be, learn to live a life where I need to take for myself. I'm not going to wait for anyone to give it to me. I'm going to take what's mine because I feel that it is uh, due me. Entitlement is nothing new. Um, there are plenty of biblical examples of people that carried around a more significant sense of entitlement. I'll just name a few of them for you. Uh, starting back in Genesis 4, Cain, he was entitled to having a better offering than Abel. He felt entitled that God would take his, even though his was poor, lesser quality, it did not involve any blood, and it was not done in faith. He still felt entitled uh, to have that offering accepted by God. A few weeks ago, Steve in Luke 15 uh, preached a beautiful uh, two-part series on the prodigal son parable. Um, the second week, he talked about the older brother. Man, talk about entitlement. There, may, there might not be any better example in Scripture. Entitled to the father's loving celebration, but he didn't get it. Why? The little brother did after he squandered his inheritance, but came back full of mercy and repentance. Right? And the older brother just stood there feeling entitled and embittered. Um, Interesting story. This is a lesson in one in Joshua 17, the tribe of Manasseh, when they were doling out, uh, you know, they, con they conquered the, um, the promised land. So now they get their land inheritance. The tribe of Manasseh got this beautiful, uh, picturesque piece of land in the hill country. And they all got together and they started grumbling like, you know what? We got to go to Joshua because you know what? We want more. You know, we are the tribe of Manasseh for crying out. Don't they know who we are? We want more. So they complained and demanded they want more, a big sense of entitlement. Um, one that's a little more uh, cute because I think a lot of you mothers, uh, if you're a mom or a grandmother, you'll um, associate with this. In Matthew 20, um, the mother of James and John, the sons of Deb Zebedee, she thought her, you know, James and John, along with Peter, you know, they're in the inner circle. Like, oh. Look, out of all the followers follow Jesus, two of my sons are in the top three. Hello, that makes you feel pretty proud. So with a sense of entitlement, she goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, would you have one sit on your right and one sit on your left? 
talk about, all right, you moms and grandma, you know what I'm talking about. Because your kids, they should be sitting on the right and left-hand side of Jesus, right? And uh, Jesus had, you know, rebuked her uh, gently and, um, and got on with his teaching. Uh, in Matthew 20, there's the parable of the vineyard worker. It's a great parable. So, you know, the, the guy, he has to hire all these folks to work in his, in his vineyard. And so he has a set amount, we'll just say for, uh, you, you know, using modern uh, currency. They were going to pay you 100 bucks if you work in, the, in my fields today. And so they, the people that came early in the morning, 8 a.m., they're like, yeah, 100 bucks is great. Thank you. Sign me up. And so as the day goes on, he keeps hiring folks. And then it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. The heat of the day is gone. And the, and, uh, the, the owner hires a couple other guys. Say, hey, you want to work? Like, yeah. So they only have to work like an hour or two. At the end of the day, everyone gets paid. And guess what? Everyone gets paid. What? $100. Guess what? Not everyone's happy about that. You know, can you imagine if you came in? Let's be honest here. What if you came in at 8? And work through the heat of the day, and you find out somebody else got paid the same amount you did. I think there'd be a little bit of entitlement there and embitteredness. But uh, so they, they weren't able to appreciate, first of all, that was a verbal contract, so that should have been good to go. And second, they should be like, wow, that landowner is extraordinarily generous. But they didn't care about that, they just cared about what they didn't get. Nothing new in scripture. It's a very stark contrast to a man named John the Baptist. We uh, did a little sermon series on him a while back. He was prophesied in Scripture. Jesus called him the greatest born among women. He was entitled to increase fame and popularity and the following. But instead, he said these words. He, 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 he took off all of his entitlement, even though other people were coaxing him to do so. He said, a man can only receive what is given to him from heaven. I, therefore, I must decrease and he must increase. Can you see the polar opposite between those two attitudes? Well, if we're going to leave entitlement behind in this race, because it's, it's a heavy load to bear, um, we should probably understand why toxic entitlement is so toxic. I think there's a lot of reasons. I'm going to give you three today. So think of this. Think uh, these three. Think fairness, work ethic, and gratitude. Think of those three things. First, uh, I, here's the first possible answer to why is entitlement so toxic. It's this, because God's mercy and justice are reduced to the concept of fairness. Parents, if we all had a dollar for every time our kids said, that's not fair, we could all retire right now. We'd be, we'd be uh, the Bahamas Presbyterian Church, right? We'd just all move down there and retire. I mean, it's a very common thing. I mean, my kids are up there. I know my kids have never said that, but yours might have. <laughs> so, you know, fairness is not a bad thing, right, in and of itself. Like, think sports, um, academic testing. It's a good thing there's fairness. It would, uh, you know, so you want to go in there. You want to know that people are playing by the rules, you, enjoy, you, you just enjoy sports and, uh, and academics more when you know that there's some sort of fairness. If not, it's chaos. It's anarchy. It's like the end of the Rams-Saints game, right? Who knows what's going on? What's going on here? God, give us some fairness and justice. But true fairness must have its biblical roots in, in, in the biblical concept of justice and mercy because they are different things. Let me just say this. There's, pillar, there's two primary pillars of God. Well, there's many, but for our purposes here today, there's the pillar of justice and the pillar of mercy, right? 
So they are, they are two beautiful parts of the unchanging nature of God himself. Justice are, has universal principles that declare that full payment is required for every single violation against God's law. If one person violates God's law and is not held to account, then God is not who he says he is. Amen? That's why, uh, you know, it's an outgrowth of that is civil government. You know, civil government is there, the, the rich and the powerful, uh, they keep them at bay, and then here's the, the, the weak and the oppressed to go and come to their defense. That's why, and, and to protect people from uh, those that would, um, that would abuse them or oppress them in any sort of way. So thank God that the expression of justice, you know, we find that in various degrees uh, throughout the world. Of course, at Jesus' second coming, all of humanity will realize uh, the true extent of God's justice. So mercy is the other pillar. It's another part of uh, amazing God's character that declares that in Christ, God has made provision for the consequences for violating his law. So mercy is, that is the gracious withholding of punishment to those that deserve it, right? Kind of grace is the, the giving of mercy, uh, the giving of good, goodness to people that don't. Mercy is the withholding of judgment. So here, here we have, uh, we have uh, one column of mercy, one of justice, and then here comes fairness. Fairness is the lowering of biblical standards to a level that can be achieved by men and women in their own strength and on their own terms. Fairness is like a pendulum. It just kind of swings, right? It swings with changing values, all right? If we want to look at things a different way, sometimes it swings more to, toward a biblical side. Sometimes it swings away from it. Um, it looks at each situation from the standpoint of each person instead of through the lens of biblical wisdom. There are many examples. Uh, one that has been very present uh, to many uh, followers of Jesus lately, these current fairness laws now give mothers the right to decide whether their unborn fetuses should live or die. Whereas biblical justice, it rises up to protect the fragility of all life, right? That's where justice comes in. But fairness says, well, the rights of the mother to choose, they are equal. No, they're probably greater than the rights of the fetus that she has inside of her. That's what the laws of fairness say. Fairness says, you know what? Let's make sure that animals have equal rights as humans. Well, you know, maybe more. Because, you know, women and animals, they haven't, they, they, they've been through a lot. It's time for them to have their turn. Time for them to have their upper hand. All right? Nothing, there's nothing, I'm not um, panning animal rights. I'm just saying any time that human rights is held in, uh, in lesser value than animal rights, something is wrong. Fairness causes us to justify your failure so that we can ignore justice and convince ourselves that we don't need mercy. You see the difference here? Um, let me look at, let me just give you another example. Um, take a quick sidetrack to show you what, what fairness does. Um, here's an example of salvation. So we know when we went through the book of Romans, we talked about the paradoxical nature of salvation. So on one, on one side, Man chooses God, and the other side, we find out that God has chosen us from the foundation of the world, right? There's a lot of people, people in this church, uh, a lot of people uh, in, in churches across America, they have trouble with that second part, right? Which really is the first part, we should say. The part about God choosing, the, God, the part about God predestining. Do you know why? 
So many people have so much trouble with that because they're looking at the gospel through the lens of fairness. It is not fair that God would choose some to be saved and not others. Guys, I have great news for you. The gospel is not the gospel of fairness. It is a gospel of mercy and grace. Fairness says, well, why doesn't God save everyone? That's, that's fairness asking. But mercy says, why does God save anyone? That is the biblical question. Amen? Fairness is the brother of entitlement. And please, I'm giving you the greatest advice here. Don't ever ask God for what you deserve or what you are entitled to. Because I don't think you're going to like the answer to that. Amen? All right, so that was a long one. Let's go on to the, 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 the second two. They're shorter. That was the first thing. What is the second reason why toxic um, entitlement is so toxic? Two, because it undermines a strong work ethic. The Bible doesn't just praise the grace of God because it does, but also praises the hard work of people. Colossians 2, I'll read a few verses. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for humans. Proverbs 14, all work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. 2 Thessalonians 3, if a man does not work, he shall not eat. That's really tough because, you know, five guys is right over there. <laughs> Toxic entitlement reinforces the idea, ladies and gentlemen, of a cheap grace, one that requires an anemic response on our part to the generosity of God. It's an attitude that shirks responsibility, duty, and hard work, and then, then gets upset when it doesn't get to reap the rewards of the work that should have been done. All right? I uh, have a sobering example here. I'll be uh, a little self-effacing here for a moment. Um, two years ago, I was at a youth pastor's conference in Tennessee, and it was an unusually warm day in, in March. And so a couple of guys went out to play Ultimate Frisbee, and I love Ultimate Frisbee. I had a bunch of guys. We played Ultimate Frisbee this summer. Uh, it's great. I was undefeated in that. I got a participation trophy to prove it. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's go play. I'll, I'll school you young bucks. And uh, so we get out there. The problem was I hadn't worked out in probably seven or eight months. I could not make it through that game more than 10 minutes, and I was huffing. I couldn't play anymore. So this, you know, this one, this I was like, man, I need someone. We had, you know, we had fair teams. You can't bail when you got fair teams, right? And so, uh, thank God, this 23-year-old with like a nine-pack comes in, and he, I could hear his, um, you know, his uh, energy level running. I was like, come on in, tag me out. So I actually, I walked back to my uh, cabin there, and I was really disappointed. I was angry, I was embittered. I was trying to get to the bottom of that. And here, it turns out, like, I, I felt entitled, like, Lord, I should be able to go out there and play. I'm in good shape for, you know, for a guy in his 40s. I should go out there and be able to play for a half hour and show my stuff. And the Holy Spirit said this to me. If you want to enjoy the rewards, you've got to be willing to pay the price. And I knew the stinging part. He was talking more than just about my physical abilities. He was talking about my spiritual disciplines and my spiritual life. All right, not that not all that stuff earns God's, God's favor, but sacrifice and discipline and hard work puts us in a place to receive the good stuff that God has. If you see somebody that's disciplined in their work, thank God for hard workers. For those of you that work hard, men and women, that just, you're just, you just work hard and you're known for your good work, God notices that. And I pray that, the, that, that your children and others would take note of the hard work that you do. You'd be appreciated uh, by men and women, but certainly um, 
uh, be rewarded uh, by the Lord for that. And the third one, why is it so toxic? Because it erodes our ability to be grateful and thankful. I love this quote by Stephen Furtick. He said, your sense of gratitude ends where entitlement begins. You cannot be grateful for something that you feel entitled to. Remember the parable of the prodigal son we mentioned? One felt gratitude, right? An amazing amount of gratitude. And the other felt nothing because he was entitled. Tell you what, when you think of, of giving of people that, that know how to receive generosity and those that kind of receive paychecks, you know, I, uh, I used this example before, I think. When you think of that, that horrible Christmas carol, Santa Claus is coming to town, you know, there's that one verse, he says, he's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's going to find out who's, yeah, you guys know it, you guys know that horrible song. Now let's think about those lyrics, because the person who wrote it obviously didn't. Santa, if this is true, is the worst gift giver in the world. You know why? Because he's making a list, he's checking it twice, naughty and nice people, so you're going to get something different depending on whether you're naughty or nice. That, is, that person stinks at giving gifts because a true gift giver is like Christ who gives gener- generously to people who are naughty and nice. Amen? So Santa ain't giving out gifts. He's giving out paychecks. So have that talk with your kids. Amen. All right. And here's the thing. If you really feel entitled to something in life, whether it's something or that something will work out and, you, and it doesn't happen, and, and actually, and you do get it, you know what? You still lose because you forfeited the ability to be grateful for it. And if you really want something you feel entitled to and you don't get it, oh man, that's, that's when all kind of resentment comes up. And how many of you just think back at your life? You thought like when you were back in your 20s and you had your whole life planned out, right? Now you look back and say, how, how, how much of your life went to plan? Right? And if you held entitlement to all of your plans, man, you would be completely disillusioned right now. So you could keep a light hand, not a tight hand, right? You keep a light hand on how life works out. Um, what I love is that gratitude reminds us that every, every good thing is from God. James 1.17, one of my favorite verses. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Here's a great quote. True joy and contentment begins with the fact that God owes us nothing, but freely gives us all things to enjoy. If you you don't take away much today, to the degree that you think that God owes you is the degree that you will not walk in joy. You will not be able to run this race in freedom and victory. Guys, God owes us nothing, zero but it doesn't matter because what he would offer freely is far more than what you could ever have gained uh, to anything that you felt entitled to. We all want to be joyful, right? But remember, we don't, we don't become more grateful by seeking joy, but we do find joy when we make the commitment to be more grateful. It's a natural byproduct. Well, can you see how difficult it is to run the race of faith while attempting to clutch on to the idols of entitlement? It's hard. Who's going to run the race with all of this stuff? Well, let me bring it home and name some specific ways that we as believers and as a church hold on to toxic entitlements. I'm going to to list a few specific examples that may or may not hit home with you, but you'll you'll get the gist. 
If you're an individual, have you ever uh, uttered thoughts like this in your, in your mind's eye or out of your mouth? I am a good homemaker. I work hard to keep the house clean and tidy. I deserve to have a bigger, nicer home. I work hard for my family. When I come home from work, I deserve just to check out and watch TV for a few hours without anyone disturbing me. I've been doing so much good lately, I'm entitled to indulge in a little bit of sin. I deserve to have children, so why am I struggling with infertility? After all, aren't children a blessing from God? I'm tired of being single. I've remained pure and I sought Christ, so why hasn't he brought me a spouse in my life so I can be happy? I'm such a hard worker, I don't understand why I still don't have a really high-paying job. Now, some of these questions, if they're asked in a good spirit, God's, God's great at he can take any question. He's a big God. He's not intimidated. He doesn't get offended, right? But if you ask these questions with the, with the root of discontentment in your life, I'm telling you what, uh, I'm telling you what's causing that. There's some sense of entitlement you have to these things. But also, unfortunately, entitlement happens in the church. Not just this church, but you name the church, entitlements are there. This, this would be... Uh, this would be common among many churches, including KPC, historically. They would say things like this. I've been going to this church for a long time. Why has no one asked me to be in leadership? I bet I tithe more than most people around here. Therefore, all of my suggestions for improvement better be implemented. They better be. At my old church, I practically ran the children's ministry. So now that I'm here, I'm going to start my takeover. <laughs> Can't the church see how gifted I am? They better open up some doors of ministry for me or I'm walking. Tell you what, it's not just the congregants. It's also elders and deacons. You know, I, they could say, I've been given authority and influence in this church, so I'm going to use it to advance my personal causes. Pastors are not exempt too. Pastors can have a lot of entitlements. One of them being, I, hey, I have a seminary degree and years of church experience. What in the world do I need to give serious consideration to what the congregants have to say? They're not professionals. All entitlements. A church that has all of these kind of entitlements, I tell you what, they are not a church that's on the rise. All right, these things are killers to churches. They need to let those go. They need to let them go. Here's um, some questions for entitlement. Here's a little gut check for you personally, all right? Just five questions. I think I have them uh, up on the screen. You can ask these to yourself uh, with your spouse, small group. In what areas of my life now do I feel discontent? Why am I feeling so disappointed right now? Those are good questions to ask. Why am I feeling so disappointed? What do I need, what do I think I need in order to live an abundant life? How am I comparing my life to someone else's? Ooh, killer. Guys, be free from comparison. How is my current ability to give thanks uh, eagerly and regularly? All right, I'm gonna let those sit there. May you marinate on them in Jesus' name this week for, uh, for the sake of fruit in your life. I mentioned there's healthy entitlements, toxic. I did mention, I forgot to mention one, glorious entitlements. We do have, the only entitlements we can boast about are, I think it's on the next slide, are in Christ entitlements. Christ, you know what? Jesus is the only one that has truly ever been entitled. 
He has it all. He deserves it all. He's the apex of all things. Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him and for him, all kind of prepositions in there, are all things. To him be the praise and glory forever. Amen. So Jesus is the only one that is rightfully entitled. Yet the beauty of the gospel is that he did, he did not deserve <coughs> excuse me, to bear those sins on the cross. And he chose to give up his own desires, his own comforts, his own pleasures, and his own rights for our eternal good. Read Philippians 2. It'll tell you all about it. And what did he do with these rights? I love this. This verse is beautiful. I don't think I have it on the screen, but listen, you guys know it. John 1.12. When you think of entitlements, this is, the, this is the beautiful kind. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The only beautiful rights we have is only because the king of the universe condescended and gave them to us in love. So you want to take those rights, take those to the bank? Yes, that's called boasting in something that does not belong to you. Because when you boast in your in Christ entitlements, Jesus is glorified. So if you ever want to say, God, give me what I'm entitled to, you better right after that say, in Christ. And you're safe. All right? Two words uh, that are hugely, hugely important. I love, you know, in 1 Peter it says, we, we're heirs according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus to an inheritance that is imperishable. That inheritance is ours by right because the God-man bled and died and offered himself for us. That's why we have those beautiful rights. Thank God for that. Mm. In Philippians 3, this is, uh, uh, this is one of my favorite verses in Scripture of all time. Paul writes this. Because if anyone was entitled, you know, this is before he had that Damascus Road experience. Boy, he was entitled. He said this in Philippians 3, looking back on his sense of entitlement. He said, if someone else thinks they have reasons to be entitled to God's favor, a little paraphrase of mine, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Oh, did he have it. He had it all in the entitlements. But whatever were entitlements to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may be found in Christ and gain him. So beautiful. Those are the beautiful entitlements. Oh, you can take all the way to the eternal bank. All right. Well, here's the conclusion. Who thinks there's real wisdom in throwing off things like shame, offense, unforgiveness, entitlement? Raise your hand. All right. So if we're actually going to do this, I have a 60-second video of five KPC teenagers that are going to inspire you to do just that. You ready for this? All right. Roll that. Ah. Uh, that's fun. May you remember that. Good. We did, have one, we did have one of the teenagers that missed a few times, but I, he will remain nameless. <laughs> but Nathan, when you did make that, when you did make connection, it was awesome. That's great. Uh, in the race of faith, you know, it really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many things you throw aside if 
you're not going in the right direction to begin with. You can, you can, you can dump off all that load. You can, go, you can go 120 miles an hour up I-95 north. But if you're going to Florida, it does not matter. Amen. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Let us run the race with perseverance, race marked out for us. <sighs> Fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Oswald Chambers says, do not get caught up in focusing on your own whiteness. Because a lot of us, we have these entitlements and all those other things. Self-evaluation is good, but self-obsession and focusing on your own whiteness, self-help books, that is not the way to ditch things. You ditch them when you, look, when you look up and you see Jesus as our forerunner waving us on. You eye lock with him and you, you, you get caught up in an encounter with his love, with his power and his glory. Like, why am I holding these things? They make no sense. But that, that the look upon Jesus, he is calling us. That's the inspiration to cast these things off. Don't do it in your own strength. Be, dra- be radically inspired uh, by the love of God. What we're going to do to close our time here is uh, because focusing on Jesus, that's it. That's the key. If you don't do that, these four weeks that we talked about are, are in vain. They're nothing. So we're just going to close um, with, a, with a great hymn that the, that the Lord put in my spirit. Uh, you don't sing along. But you just sit there and just reflect. You can sing silently if you want. It's, a, it's, a, it's an old hymn that is remastered called Praise to the Lord Almighty. So let's just take these last few minutes of our service during the song and let's just focus on Jesus, right? I'm going to ask the altar ministers if they will come up um, just to be on standby if you want to come up for prayer. So as soon as the song is over, I got uh, prayer and I got a benediction for you. But man, let's focus on Jesus and let, let all these things be cast aside. Amen. Go ahead and roll that. Amen. Woo. Uh, amen. Would you stand with me? Receive the benediction. Let me just say the altar ministers are up here. Please come up and pray, whether it's something directly to do with the sermon or not. Uh, these men and women are trained. They love you. They know how to pray, and they would love to join with you. I did want to say, too, that uh, we've, we told you the elder nominations are open. We are um, uh, seeking the Lord's uh, hand in uh, getting at least three new elders on session. And so uh, those, are, those um, forms will be out there in the lobby. So feel free if the Lord has led you to talk to someone and nominate them, uh, feel free to do that after. Amen. Receive this benediction. Now may you run the race that the Lord has set before you with passion and endurance, with the peace that comes from running free from heaviness, and with the joy that only comes from looking under Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And all of God's people said, amen. Have a great week, y'all. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.